all of these different worldviews started just coming right up and out of people because they felt safe, which I love that. They felt super safe. So all of them were saying, Trump sucks. He's, you know, he's, a, you know, a bombastic, arrogant, womanizing, awful, you know, bigot. No one would ever vote for him. We're going to vote for Hillary because she's, then they said, because she's pro-life. And, and Amy and Josh, their draw, jaws drop open. And they realized that a lot of the people in the church were Christians, love God, going to heaven, but their worldview is very humanistic. That's my language. And so this, art, this not argument, but this rigorous discussion broke open in their group. And people were being honest. I mean, it was great. Actually, it was really great. But they, they left it super demoralized. And they called me up and said, we are in so much trouble as a church, we don't even realize how bad it is. And I go, like, what do you mean? They go, we're supposedly built on Christ and the kingdom, but, but our church is being polarized by this election because everybody's got a different political viewpoint on different things. And we live in a college town, so they all have bought into the, the liberal, humanistic worldview. So anything goes, truth is relative. And... Um, and I'm like, wow. They, they were, Amy was kind of freaking out. Well, then Amy, this prophetic energy gets on her. And she starts researching the party platforms, the Democratic Party platform, the Republican Party platform. And an anger, a, a holy righteous anger rises up in Amy. And it wasn't toward any person. It was just like, we're off. We're off as a people. We, we think we're the reclaiming of Christ's kingdom, but we're not. Okay, so they call me. They go, Papa Tim, what do we do here? Like, we're all over the map. Well, I end up, we end up having a leadership meeting up there with all the core leaders. Assistant house church leaders, house church leaders, on deck, interns, it was the, the basement was packed. And I began to spell out the kingdom of God and the, a biblical worldview. And these guys, uh, literally half the group, had no, had, didn't even know that term worldview. They didn't even know that, ver that, that verbiage, that, that concept, that, that the Bible, there's a worldview, a, a, a point of reference, a reality. That, like, that was a new concept. And I went, okay, now... Guys, let's go back here and let's talk about there is a God and he has absolute truths. Well, that was challenged. No, truth is relative. We're all, we all get to, why would you impose your truth on me? And I'm like, wow, hold on a minute. I'm telling you it went that crazy in the room. And I go, okay, look, how open are you to revisiting the whole concept of truth and absolute moral law and truth? How open are you guys to even getting the mind of Christ? Well, they all were open. There was a humility. They weren't gonna. They weren't gonna like. I said because I am deeply alarmed that we're called to be a church under Jesus Christ. I mean, the rock means Christ, the King, and we're called to reclaim Christ's kingdom. And if we don't have the worldview of heaven, we're called as citizens of heaven to bring heaven to earth. If we don't have the mind of Christ, how can we disciple the nations? Because it says we're to disciple the nations, teaching them to observe everything he commanded. 
The goal isn't just to do a DNA group. The goal is to disciple the nations in a worldview that works. Well, okay. So I have to admit, I went into a mild despondent depression because I was like, oh crap. Where was I? Was I asleep at the wheel? I mean, what, what is, why did I not see the depth of this in our own church planting movement? And so I went on red alert and began weeping and fasting and praying and crying and asking God for help. And I was like, we've got a whole generation of people that have, that have bought the party line in terms of secular humanism. No, it's it's a whole. Well, all the that's what I mean. Everybody alive today, in the Western world, from Europe to America to Australia, any Western country, for any First Nation country, has bought into Western rational materialism, which makes us God, and it's defined in Romans one. Okay, so I'm thinking, what do I do now? So I felt like the Lord said, begin to teach on world on the kingdom. Because you've got to revisit the very foundations of why you guys exist. You're not another charismatic church option. You're a group called to be apostolic, which means initiate and bring the kingdom. Be sent out. Go. You're go-outers. You're not coming attenders. You're not attenders. You're go-outers. And you're called to initiate radical pioneering kingdomizing of cities. And I'm like, well then, if you don't have the worldview of heaven, you're, you're pretty well screwed. Because demons will, it says, we take every thought captive that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So basically, our people are, are believing non-biblical, non-kingdom ideas, and it's, it's causing them to draw conclusions about who they're going to vote for that's dangerous. Okay, so I stood up on Sunday, last Sunday, with fear and trembling, might I add, in a college, university, liberal city called Laramie. And I'm like, I don't really care, because basically, here's the deal. Josh and Amy were terrified at this moment, because they were thinking, this is going to split our church. What I'm about to deliver is going to polarize our church. Now, I reassured everybody, I'm not going to. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm a Kingdom man. I'm not stumping for a candidate. Not Hillary. Not Trump. I'm not stumping for anybody. I'm. I'm trying to represent Jesus in heaven, and bring heaven to earth. But I am going to lay out what the Scripture teaches. So I gave a talk on the Kingdom and biblical worldview and our role in civil government, and I try to do it with a lot of humility and a lot of softness. Not like hey, you're, you're going to lose your salvation and go to hell if you vote for Hillary. And I, and I acknowledged that both candidates are very troublesome and problematic. Would you not agree? Like, really? You just did that? I mean, come on. So both candidates we have problems with. So I said, what you do is you start with Jesus, you start with the kingdom, you start with the ideals that are in the scripture, the principles of the kingdom, then you bring those principles to a stated policy and a position, and then from the policy, you get a strategy 
And then from your strategies, you get a politician that will work the strategies. You don't get sucked into a personality conversation about which po politician is most attractive. Because quite frankly, none of them are. So you don't vote for a person per se, you vote for a platform or for positions and policies. Now that is offending many because they're so right now offended by both candidates. Like one candidate is going to be indicted, I guarantee it's going to happen. There's enough evidence now, it's clear, it's out of WikiLeaks, it's going to happen. I, I just believe it 100%. So the fact is that you got an FBI investigation going on with one candidate, then you got another candidate that's groping women in sensitive comments 10 years ago, bombastic, crass, crude, like wow. And so along comes prophets. Lance Wallnow, Rick Joyner. These prophets go, look, you guys are going to be tempted, you, you believers are going to be tempted to want to uh, elect a, comma a, 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 a commander in, what do they call it? Commander-in-chief. Commander Not a commander-in-chief, but a commander in... You want a commander in pastor. You want to elect a, pa a moral pastor, and God is about ready to pick a person that is offensive personally, but he has the capacity to shake things up in Washington and appoint good Supreme Court judges. And I think that these guys came along because no one would have ever considered these guys when you had Ted Cruz, you had Ben Carson, you had Mark, Mike, Mike Huckabee, nice evangelicals that are awesome guys that have a moral track record, a consistent conservative record, but they didn't get nominated. It's this bombastic, arrogant, morally compromised man. So most of the evangelical world can't see past his personal sin. Are you tracking with me? Like he's so offensive they can't see past him. So along come these prophets and they go, look, we believe that there's something up that you need to take a fresh look at and don't just write him off because he's a jerk. And that's bottom line, what's been happening. Okay, so I don't, I don't go into this conversation around Trump or around Hillary, just so you know. I never even brought up their names on Sunday. I published an 11-page paper on, on the notes of biblical worldview. And I contrasted the different party pa uh, platforms. Pa -pa -pa platforms. David, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Because um, I want to make sure you get this because I'm talking loud, and I, but I don't know if I'm getting there. Oh, I love diaper changing. <laughs> Give me that diaper. Um, okay, so how many of you were, had a chance to hear my message that I, we have it on video, audio or video? How many ch have a chance to hear the message? Well, you were there. You were there. How many were you there? Did you hear it? Mm -hmm. What'd you think? Good. On video, you heard the video. Yeah. Because you had to go take care of kids during the right. But you went back and heard the whole thing. Yeah. And what'd you think? Well, it was good. It, it you know, rounded the. I don't know. We kind of talked about this last night yeah. a little bit, just in the initial part of what you heard, and then through everything was yeah, kind of that kingdom aspect of it, and you know, as Christians, what 
our foundation and what our truth in God is. Yeah. And where do we go from there? And so it was insightful and, you know, it's been kind of having to look past the people necessarily. And the personalities of people, yeah. Well, okay, so I want to read a couple of Bible verses and then I want to have a little more dialogue and then I want to apply this to a practical life for us practical people. Because it's got to get practical. Let me just read a couple of verses about our, our, our King and our God who we love so much, Jesus. Yeshua, third person of the Trinity, second person of the Trinity. Okay, here's a couple of verses about him. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. This is in Isaiah, the Old Testament. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Wow, that's heavy. So it says Jesus is, is a king who has a government. And he's called, and he created all things by him for himself, and he is intending on ruling and reigning the earth. The government is on his shoulders. Everybody got that? Um, then it says in scripture, I'm going to pass over a lot of these verses. So it says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So the Bible teaches that Jesus is a king of a kingdom, that his kingdom is both the unseen realm and the seen realm, that the kingdom of God is coming is already on the earth. Jesus said the kingdom is here, it's near you. So it's here and the kingdom is expanding. What is the kingdom? Anybody know what is the kingdom of God? Talk to me, people. What's the kingdom of God? Areas that Jesus is king over, that he exercises okay. his dominion. All right, perfectly. It's the realm of reality or the dominion in which Christ is uncontested Lord. So now, how, can, how many of you can say that on the? That, by the way, the kingdom is located in three places. It's within you. It's between us in our relationships, and it's around us in his rule in marketplace, civil government, marriage and family. How many of you would say that you've been totally kingdomized within? Where you fully have the mind of Christ, you fully have the motives of Christ, you're fully yielded to the Lordship of Christ, you're a royal subject and a son, and, and he is ruling every aspect of your life. How many of you can say that? I'm on my way. You're on your way. Working on it. I'm on the journey. You're on the journey. Okay, that process of being kingdomized from within, the mind of Christ, everybody just point to your mind, the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ, and the hand or the lifestyle of Christ. So head, heart, hand. Think about that. A complete takeover of the kingdom. Okay, the process of becoming like Christ and being kingdomized from within is called sanctification. Yes? It's where Jesus Christ is kicking out the money changers in your life. Now, the kingdom of relationships, that's another subject. That's why forgiveness. That's why mercy. That's why not judging. That's why not being offended. All of these things are a kingdom culture. 
What is the Sermon on the Mount? Anybody know? What's the Sermon on the Mount? It's not really true. It's the Constitution of the Kingdom. The Constitution of the Kingdom is Jesus Christ talking about our interior attitudes as a Kingdom people. So what is God up to? He says, I am making citizens and sons of another realm. You're first and foremost not a Republican. You're not a Democrat. You're not even an American. You're not a Frenchman. First and foremost. You're not white. You're not even female or male, first and foremost. You're a spirit being, a son, called to be a citizen of another realm. How's that, how crazy is that? Doesn't that sound awesome? So you've got to get into heaven. Now, do you get to superimpose your opinions into the kingdom of God? Like, what if you say, well, I just don't like that. I just don't think I wanted this. What I think is more important. Pride. What? Pride. That's pride. That's, that's, that's information exalting itself against the knowledge of God, yes? So basically, you've got a war, a battle in your mind, right? Is there a mental battlefield inside of you? Now, do you think that a demon can hold whole populations deceived? How many of you have ever been to India? 1.4 billion people, is it now? Brent, something like that, 1.4. There's about uh, 4,000, 5,000 languages spoken in India. I don't know if you guys knew that. Like multiple people groups just in India. But if you've been to India, you'll see the impact of what of what conscious demonic influence does over a population. For example, if you're into reincarnation and not, and and uh, the Hindu the Hindu belief system, you believe people are born to be sex slaves and impoverished, and you have every right to take advantage of them because that's what they were born to be is your sex slave. And you know, just just a couple lives ago, they were a rat. First, they were a fly, and then they were a rat. Then they and they got promoted to being a, a sex slave. And then if they live a good life in the, <coughs> in the feudalistic world that they're in, then they'll be promoted in the next life. <coughs> so there's no sense. That there's history of cyclical. It's not linear. It's not a Judeo-Christian worldview of history or of values or human value. And karma, karma is all about you get more and more karma you know, you, it, what goes around comes around, and it's just, it's just not based on a redemptor, a redemptive redemption from God. It's you earn your way over many, many lifetimes into a place of God-like status. So I've watched priests, I've watched the most demonically inspired people drink blood, drink cow urine, they leave cows alone because that's grandma, full of trash, full of evil. There's a God called the Rat God. There's a whole temple devoted to the rat god. You lay in the temple and rats run over you. And the more rats that run over you, the more you'll be blessed. And they're ravishing their, their rice and corn crops. Because they won't kill rats. Why? Because they're gods. They worship the rat god. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I've been to... Thank you. I've been to uh, Guatemala. He said, yeah. I've been to Guatemala where they were under local de demons... And those demons were, it's called, they worship the maize god, and they would only eat corn, and they were malnourished, where they could have three growing seasons, 
and be fully enriched with the nutrients of the soil, they would only eat corn because they worship the corn god. Talk about demons, right? They're starving because demons are enslaving their brains, and, and what you think determines what you do. So along comes German liberalism in, in Germany. Basically, they, they attempted to demythologize scripture. Supernatural didn't really happen. We know supernatural things don't happen. You can't have the resurrection of the dead. You can't have multiplying food. You can't alter weather patterns. So we're going to pull all those supernatural stories out of the Bible. They were just stories of people sharing a lot. These were, so German liberals wanted to be relevant to the scientific community. And so they, they created a theology that, that made them relevant to the spirit of the world. Are you tracking with me? So all the supernatural got sucked out of the scripture. These are bright people. They are theologically as bright as Einstein was in the scientific community. But they were demonized. That German liberalism lulled the Lutheran church to sleep and got them into a humanistic spirit that says, now we have the power as people to, to socially engineer our culture because man was basically born good, he wasn't born bad. He doesn't need a savior, he needs educated and he needs social re-engineering. It softened up the Lutheran church. So when Hitler comes along and says, I have, a, I have a vision of a new kingdom, a thousand year Third Reich, a new race of people, and we will socially engineer a new culture, and we will put all this Aryan race as a higher, more supreme race, and our biggest problem is Jews and blacks and Arabics. So what we're going to do is we're going to get rid of them. We're going to exterminate them and, and mentally ill and elderly. If you're not a contributing person to our social reconstruction, we have the right to kill you because you're standing because it's the, it's the, fittest, it's the fittest of the species. It's Darwinianism. Which is, you know, basically there is no absolute moral creator. We are just evolution, you know, we're just slime plus time. So slime plus time, all their language was liberal. They, they used God language and Jesus language only with different in meanings. That German liberalism that slipped into Lutheranism opened the door, softened the church so that when Hitler rose up, they didn't stop him at all. They just, in fact, they applauded because they, they felt like the Jews killed Jesus. They had a very, very bad theology of Judaism. That there's no more covenant. It's... There's no more covenant with the Jews. Okay? So they stood by while Hitler took over and, and exterminated over 6 million people. Does it, was that a demonic mindset, do you think? Possibly, perhaps? So the German people are smart. Do you know that Indian people are smart? Like, they're not stupid. They're not like lower levels of life. The people in India are, are brilliant. The people in Germany, they're brilliant. They're not stupid. You tracking with me? The very smart people believe demons. And so they, they institutionalized evil and created policies of extermination. And it was all due to the church. And very few people stood up to the church. One of them was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He stuck his finger in the face of Hitler and into the face of the Lutheran church and said, both of you are evil. Both of you are sinning. Of course, he died for it. He was a martyr. He's an amazing dude. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Amazing. All right, where's the Dietrich Bonhoeffers today? So has our nation, you know, we think, oh, no, we're, we're smarter than the German people. We would never do that. We're smarter than those from India. We would never believe a, corp, a, a social lie. We would never get our mindset so warped that we would agree and allow for the extermination of people. Would we in America? Would we ever do that? Oh, really? Well, over 55 million babies have been killed since 1973 in the gas, in, in the, in the destruction rooms of our nation. So I stood up and just wept. I said, guys, I bought the party line. Our German liberalism slipped into the Presbyterian church. I was a Presbyterian pastor. I thought that it was just cell tissue and that it was an inconvenience to the mother. That's what I was taught. We were taught, you know, you're supposed to be moving toward accepting the gay, you know, like same-sex marriage. That's where the Presbyterian church was going. And I was trying to, you know, be an evangelical charismatic, but I was trying to go the party line to win the people. And I was complicitous to abortions. And I look back and I just weep over it. And I've repented. And so I know a lot of people that went through abortions and they don't need judgment. They don't need beating up. They need ministry. We need help. We need softness. We don't need to condemn them. You know, nor do we need to condemn gays and lesbians. We simply need to love these people, but we cannot redefine marriage. So we go to God and say, God, how do you define male and female? How do you define life? Does life start at conception or doesn't it? And if it does, then we protect the unborn. And we vote for policies that protect the unborn, and we, we get outside of our demons. America has been demonized. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? We've been demonized. Our mindsets are warped. So we'll buy anything. You can do anything with your plumbing. With your sexual organs, you can do anything you want, according to the humanistic mindset, because there's no moral absolute. So what you do with your plumbing is your business. And we can redefine marriage in these great institutions. Okay, now, we're never to hate or discriminate against a gay person. We're always to love everybody. Everybody's got... Everybody's been sexually broken in a fallen world, right? Let's get it right. We're all jacked up. So we need mercy. But we need we can't bend the, the absolute morality of God because we're struggling. Alright, so I want you to I want you to go and consider going to this teaching. You can do it, you can get it on audio, or you can get it on video. I summarized it and then I went over the platforms and I read the platforms of the Democratic Party and I read the platforms of the Republican Party on three major topics. Okay, first of all I went with the Bible. What does the Bible say about life? Well the Bible teaches very clearly. In fact in the Old Testament if you were, if you, if two guys got jostling around in a fight and they bumped a woman and miscarried the baby, that was considered murder. It's kind of interesting our society considers that the same right now. If you murder a pregnant woman, they consider that a double murder. Yeah. And what's even crazy is you can get a quarter of a million to a half a million fine for killing an eagle egg. Yeah, if you find an eagle egg and you, and you, and you knowingly crush it, destroy it, hurt it, you, you, it's an endangered species, you will get, you'll get fined a quarter of a million dollars and put in jail. Yeah. But if you kill a baby, it's okay. 
How crazy is that? Like just ridiculous. So we know in the Bible that at conception we have a real life. And the, the, the Democratic Party is bought into, you can abort a baby even in late term. And furthermore, they're pushing that agenda globally and they're, they're tying human, humanitarian help to nations only if they will embrace abortion for population control. Did you know that? Like humanitarian aid, you can't get it from America if you don't agree with our policies on abortion. So your tax dollars, your tax dollars are funding abortions, the killing of babies. That is the democratic platform. All right, the Republican platform, completely opposite, it says, we believe in life, we will protect life. We will, we will, we will, um, we will encourage life. Uh, the baby in the womb. All right, now, I didn't make that up. That's, that's their written policy. And so I believe that in terms of the Democratic Party on that topic, they're demonized. They're deceived. They're under a spirit of the Holocaust and liberalism and humanity. And it's, and it's wicked. Okay? And as a man of God, I can say that with absolute confidence. I know the mind of God because I've been in the Word of God. And I know my Father. I know Jesus. I know the Kingdom. And I can say with absolute confidence, I'm not deceived on this topic. I was once deceived. I'm not deceived anymore. I've been delivered from that deception, that humanistic deception, that man gets to control you know, their worldview about life. I'm not God. I don't get to control this. So ideas, do you guys think ideas have consequences? Yeah. Okay, so um, now I'm not saying that all the, all the Republicans are Jesus-loving, wonderful, moral people. Come on, give me a break. Their policy is right. I don't necessarily think the people are right. But their policy is right on that particular subject. Now I do believe, I've studied the whole subject of um, aliens, of immigration, and there is a, I wouldn't say we allow illegal immigrants into the country, but there is a softer worldview toward immigration and the alien and the widow and the orphan. And I believe that the heart of the matter is a little more represented in the Democratic Party. Okay, the heart of that, the compassion that's there is, a, is more reflective. But I didn't, I didn't go into that Sunday. So I'm not, again, what I'm saying is, as a believer, you get up into heaven, you touch your king, you represent the king. You don't represent you, you don't represent America, you represent Jesus on the earth. Your job is to colonize the planet. It's not to give expression to your opinions. Now, the second topic I picked on was marriage. And I went and said, what does the Bible say about marriage? God made male and female. And here's why he made the plumbing. And here's the point of it. It represents Jesus and the bride. It represents the Trinity. You know, God is both male and female. Why did he do this? What was the point of it? What's maleness? What's femaleness? How are we alike? How are we different? And God set up these complementary you know, entities to make, a one, to make one. Okay, never ever in the Word does the Bible 
justify same-sex gay, homosexual, lesbian, bi, transcendental relationships ever, ever, never. Does that mean that, that, our, that we should be ugly and mean toward people that are sexually broken? No. Absolutely not. We're compassionate, we're kind, we're, we're gentle. I, th I think people that scream hate conversations toward struggling people are more demonized than the ones that have sexual problems. Okay. Oh, the hell? I hate you. I was like, oh, shut up. Who are you? You're, 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 you're burping up hell religious baloney. God doesn't, the Father doesn't talk like that to people. He loves people. And he goes, okay, who knows why people end up with the, pro, with the leanings that they have? I don't believe people, there's no scientific proof they're born that way, but I, I believe there's a thousand things environmentally, circumstantially, in parents and wounds and demons. I think, you know, demons can attack people in the womb. I've done many deliverances and inner healings where people in the womb, demons came after them because they were unprotected by their ignorant parents. I didn't mean stupid, I said ignorant. The parents didn't know. So people get this perception that I'm gay when there's a demon inside of them telling them, you're gay, you're gay, you're gay, and, and putting energy in their bodies that is same-sex attraction. It's like, well, I'm gay, I'm gay. Well, it's like, no. There's other issues that are, might be going on right now. You might have been very hurt by male people or female people. You might be very, you know, who knows? Generational curses, a thousand things. But let's not bend the rules and change them because people are struggling. Mm -hmm. So somebody, somebody goes, well, I have a friend. He's always had this, his predisposition towards same-sex attraction. And, and he just struggled with it. He wept and he almost came to the point of suicide. What do I say to him? Shouldn't we just say, well, God made you this way and just let him go? And I said, hey, look, I appreciate your compassion. Stay compassionate. But I've literally had people, pedophiles tell me, I have sexual attractions toward minors. I have an, a desire to touch them, fondle them, and have sex with them that are underage minors. And I was born this way. I've had people tell me that. I've had, I've had men tell me, I'm polygamous. I just can't help myself. I want, to, I want to do it with anything that walks. I just need to give expression. I'm just, just really, you know, you know, energetically, you know, sexually, you know, stimulated, and I'm just, I'm just going to try to get it done as much as I can. And that's the way I was born. It's like, wow. So do I let the, 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 the individual's, the individual's conclusions dictate moral absolutes and reality? No. I don't, I don't beat them up, but I say, hey, you know what? When you come into compliance with God's kingdom, doing God's will, God's way, you will come into peace, righteousness, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Non-compliance is lethal, and you'll pay in the end. Gay people aren't gay. Let me just tell you. And I, I love gay people. I don't love gay behavior. Does that make sense? Like, I love you, but I don't love your bad behavior. You shouldn't love my bad behavior. But I love you. I'll always love you. I'll even like you. I just won't like your bad behavior. But let's not baptize bad behavior because we want to keep, let's not rationalize it. But here's what I said. The mind will justify what the heart desires. And you'll figure out a way to rationalize what you want to do. And unless you go to the Word of God and represent heaven, you're going to get yourself convinced you can do a thousand things that are wrong and unhelpful.
So I appealed for humility in the group, as I am now, and I'm going, please don't assume that your mind has been fully kingdomized. There's a good chance you're more humanistic than you think. Like you've got, you got, you, you've been influenced by the culture more than you have the Word of God. How many of you think that's possible? Only five generations of humanism have been bombarding America. So we're pretty well in trouble. If we're going to be salt and light, and if we're going to be an influence for culture, we're going to have to get reacquainted with God's ways and His will and His truth and His Word. You're going to have to do your homework. So on this document, I really want you to get it because I... I basically detail, I don't, I don't write a book about it, I just like two paragraphs on each worldview position. And I lay out the secular, humanistic, materialistic worldview and the, and the kingdom worldview, the biblical worldview, and which, how different they are. The cool thing is, intelligent design comes from an intelligent being. You can't have science without intelligence. You get my point? You can't have order without a mind. So we're in the high ground morally and intellectually. Trust me, when you get around people that, that sound so intelligent, existentialist, moral relativism, they are not that, they don't really have a very ironclad argument on anything. Are you tracking with me? It, it actually, it's not hard to defend the gospel. <laughs> Seriously, intellectually, it's not hard. It's called apologetics, and if you, I've got great books in my library. If you want to borrow them, I'll, you know, I'll make you put your blood, you know, like thumbprint on my, you know, piece of paper. But you can, I've got great books on apologetics. If you want to take this on as a and as a ministry, it's awesome. But everybody needs to know what you believe and why. All right, now. Um, so the second topic I did was marriage and family. The, the Democratic Party says we're going to fight for the LGBT agenda. We are going to tie that agenda to our humanistic efforts worldwide. In other words, we want the globe to embrace gay rights, gay sex, gay marriage. Um, or they won't get our human aid. Three... 2.5% of the population got the megaphone of Hollywood and altered the thinking and the morality of this nation. Do you, do you understand what I just said? Like communists and socialists were only 2% of the Chinese and China or in Russia. 2%. But they were unified. 2% 2, 2 of a population in unity can change the whole population. Only 2% of Americans fought the Revolutionary War yeah. for freedom. 2% of the whole population fought for the Revolution, and we won our freedom from that. So here's the church, way more than 2%, and we're having literally no, impl no influence in culture. Why is that? We're not unified. We're not, we're not unified, and we, we're thinking a bunch of crap. Like our mind, we're not in unity at all. Church hasn't been teaching from the Bible in a long, long time. Right. I don't think. And so. another thing the church hasn't done is they haven't taught on this topic in general. They avoid this topic from the pulpit right. on a regular basis because they're afraid of it. Yeah. Um, and that's affected us because. Um, 
we we have lost. We don't. The church has a no kingdom. Okay. Did you guys just hear that huge statement? Mono. The, the uh, church has a no kingdom. The church lost the vision of the kingdom. Yeah. So every solution and every problem and everything is solved when Jesus returns, which condemns six billion people to hell right now. Right. This is like. Our eschatology is corrupt. It's like a, a, a theology of demons, where it, it literally puts every solution to every problem when Jesus returns. We should really, you know, say, Hosanna, yeah. Come back, Jesus. Yeah, come come quickly. But the kingdom is now. So we, we, we have to recapture the kingdom do you understand what he's saying? Like the eschatology of the American church is so distorted. It's the rapture. Get out of here and go to heaven. All right. So we went to Myanmar and we're around the most amazing people. And when we start talking about the kingdom, they're looking at us like, you know, like a, like a, new, like a little calf in a new gate. Like, what are you talking about? Like the kingdom comes when Jesus returns. It, our goal is just to get... Buddhist people to stop believing in Buddhism and go to heaven with Jesus. It's not to bring the kingdom. They don't. They weren't preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They were preaching the gospel of salvation. Good Baptist people. And oh my gosh, I mean, it was like when I went through the word systematically and taught on the kingdom, and taught on the power of the Holy Spirit in the kingdom. They flipped out. Like it was unbelievable. They go, we've never heard the gospel of the kingdom in our life. By the way, that was a kind of a fun moment just for Mono and I just to be. So, um, Mono is exactly right. The, the issue is, all Christ talked about was, we're going to colonize the planet with the kingdom of God. And as citizens, your call is to get the mind of your king and then disciple the nations with his mind. It isn't for you to come up with new truth, to invent new ideas. You know, we've got to learn his ideas first because they're the ones that work. So here's what Jesus' message was. And this needs to be your message. Because Josh and Amy looked at me, by the way, and they go, how do we get out of this mess? Like, we're screwed. Like, we have a, bu we have a bunch of people that think whatever they want to think when they want to think it. Because they, that's what the way they were taught at University of Wyoming, at CSU, at CU, and every other university. They just think what you want. And I said, the same way Jesus did it, Josh and Amy, but your first word is repent. That's your first word, repent. Repent means a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of life. It's about faith. Repent. Repent. Why? For the kingdom of God is here. Repent. There's a new king in town. Repent. You're not the king. You're not, there's a new king and you're not it. Humanism is I'm king. Religion is some doctrine is king. Jesus didn't preach for the Christian religion. He preached a kingdom. He says, there's a new king in town. There's a new kingdom on the planet. And my plan is to take over every sphere of life. Okay? I'm going to come back to that. Hold me to that. The third thing I brought up was Israel. Um, there's a doctrine that says um, that God's contract with Israel is over. It's replacement theology. The church is now the new Israel. The Gentiles, the Gentile church is now Israel. And so all the promises for Israel 
are now no, extinct. They're no longer because they blew it and the Gentiles now are the church and we took over and we replace Israel. So all the promises given to Israel are given to the church. It's called a replacement theology. Have you ever heard that? No. Okay, well, it's, it's, it's actually the most prevailing theology of the Reformed Church. That's what Lutherans believe. That's what most of the Baptists believe. That's almost every Reformed. That's what the Catholics believe. So the prevailing dominant theology on Israel is that. So why spend all this energy restoring the land of Israel and fighting for Israel? So that was the, the Lutheran church believes that, what I just said, replacement theology. That's why they hated the Jews. You're Jesus killers. We can justify killing you because you're irrelevant now. We don't need you. We're not here to save you. We're here to extinguish you because you're our problem. Plus, by the way, you own most of the banks. Uh, and we would kind of like to take your money and your art and your gold teeth and everything else about you. We want to strip you of your economic empowerment because we want to use you, your money to run our war machine. And that's what they did. They systematically stole everything from the Jewish people. Okay, so, but they used replacement theology to justify it. A doctrine of demons. Are you guys tracking with me? So you think, well, what's so important about eschatology? Well, that's what's important about eschatology. So here's what we believe. The Bible does not teach that God has given up on his covenant with Israel. That, that bringing people back to their land was, was, in 1948, was one of the biggest end-time statements that ever happened. So we've got to stand with Israel. We've got to stand with Jerusalem. Now, the Democrats don't believe that. They do believe that, that Israel needs to be divided up between Palestinians and other states, and we're going to carve up Jerusalem. Can you imagine if we said, no, no longer is America going to be one, and our Washington is not going to be our capital. We're going to let, we're going to let um, Islam have its capital in, the st in Washington, D.C., and they're going to they're going to impose Sharia law on the population, and then you're also going to have Americanism, and then you're going to have whatever. Can you imagine America doing that? Like we're going to open our borders and allow a group of people to come in and impose Sharia law on America. Well, guess what? In Europe, in Europe, they didn't officially do that. They just allowed a whole bunch of people in. And those people are all pushing for Sharia law in, in England, in Belgium, and everywhere else. And they're, they're taking over Europe. Systematically taking over Europe with this infectious, cancerous worldview. Of ultimately, we can behead you and burn you if you don't believe what we believe. We're going to subjugate you or kill you because you're standing between us and Allah. And Allah's purpose. So ideas have consequences, you guys. Understand what I'm saying? So a Christian never, a, a Christian that understands biblical worldview would never embrace a divided Jerusalem or a divided Israel. Never. And America is blessed because Truman signed, Truman was the power behind the establishing of Israel. Did you guys know that? And God used his name Truman. He was the one that signed the papers. And he's from Kansas City. There's all kinds of prophecies over the true man who comes up out of Grandview, gets the Grandview, and this whole prophetic 
and intercessory movement has come up out of Grandview, right next to Truman's farm. IHOP. Which I was a part of. Do you know that we started in IHOP? Did you know the Rock Tribe started in IHOP? Out of the prayer room? Okay, just so you know. Curious moment there. Now, there's a, there's a move of God. It started with Bill Bright. He talked, he had a dream. He was the head of Campus Crusade, a radical believer. And he had a dream of seven mountains. And he said, there's seven mountains of society. And he started fasting 40 days and 40 nights for God to bring revival and culture in the, what he called the seven mountains, those seven mountain dream he had. And that term seven mountains got captured by guys like Lance Wallnow and other leaders, other business consultants. Basically, what's happened is, because the church stopped talking about the kingdom, the Catholic church said, we are the kingdom. The Catholic church said, the church is now the kingdom. Now, the Bible never teaches that. It never says the church is the kingdom. The church is the main instrument that advances the kingdom, but the church isn't the kingdom. The church is the ecclesia, the ruling body, that facilitates the saturation of the kingdom in every part of culture. Now, here are the seven mountains. You, let's see if you know them. The seven mountains of influence in culture. Media. Okay, media. Put, put your finger up. Everybody say media. Media. This is not necessarily the order Bill Bright got it in, but let's just... Yeah, sorry. That's okay. It's all right. Education. So, ed education. Is everybody say education? Family. Okay. Third one is what? Family. Family. That's three. Okay, what else? Church. Okay, one, one at a time. What was it? Okay, civil government, that's less based. So everybody says civil government. That's four. Next. Church. Religion, they call it religion. Religion. The reason why they call it religion is because in, in, in Islam, it's the religion that's influencing culture. So that's why they pick the word religion. Okay, so five is religion. Everyone said religion. Religion. Good. Six is what? Huh? Uh, yes, it's the arts. The arts is an all-encompassing word for media. Okay, there's one more. Marketplace. Business. Who said it? Did you say that, Kim? Kim gets credit. Kim, you get a donut. Okay, everybody say marketplace. Yeah, okay, so now, that's a radical thought. That the church now is going to be the hub, the equipping hub, to equip citizens of the kingdom to kingdomize all seven spheres of society. Do you realize how what a radical thought that is? Like the church in America exists for itself. Let's just get nickels and noses into our building, to our programs, and we'll take care of you, and we'll meet your needs, and you can go limp and be passive, and be attenders. How many of you understand that's the American church? It exists for itself. It doesn't see itself as an equipping center to train people on how to run good businesses, how to have great marriages and families, how to infiltrate the media and the arts, how to, how to be politicians that run for government, how to run, you know what I'm saying? The church isn't doing that. Okay, so God said, hey, listen, Rock Tribe. First of all, you don't get to be a consumer spectator church. You get to be a kingdom people that you're going to talk about marriage and family. You're going to talk about how to do business. You're going to talk about civil government. You're going to teach people how to work out and keep, be in shape. You're going to have great sex lives in your marriage and have great economic lives and 
You're going to kingdomize people. Because if you don't get this kingdom thing in every area of life, you can't train the nations. So our goal is to equip you to be a leader that goes to the nations. Now, I want to help you understand something about me. You've got to renegotiate who I am to you. Like a lot of people think, they, they impose on me their church worldview of a pastor. Okay? And, or a spiritual father. I need to help you understand something. My job is not to meet your needs, to take care of you. That is not my job. My job is to be an apostolic equipper who creates a culture and a setting where you do the hard work of learning how to lead. I'm here to help you lead. See, you can't go and teach people how to rule in the nations if you're not a leader. So my goal is to help equip you to be a disciple maker and a leader. And so God has created all these vacuums in our church that I am not filling. And we look pathetic from, a, from the, if you compare us to Mill City or Res or, and all the great programs, we look like a little pathetic tadpole. We're like an embryo right now. We, look, we don't look that awesome. In fact, this place makes you work. This place makes you, you have to pray and figure out how to have a house church. I can't come and rescue you every time. That's not my job. My job is to create a context for you to learn about Christ in the kingdom, for you to learn the vision of the kingdom, the values of the kingdom, the culture of the kingdom, and the strategy of the kingdom. You get to go to work and do it. I'm not going to do it for you. And so God sets you up with a leader that has to run around to all these other locations, and I'm not a shepherd. I'm not a pastor. My fathering, here's what my fathering is. My fathering is a conceptual and contextual fathering. I set up a context for you to practice kingdom life. But I can't be there all the time for every one of you. I can't, I'm not called. I can't do that. And by furthermore, God doesn't want me to. Now, does, do we need shepherds in this place? Yeah, a lot. Like a lot of them. And, and by the way, I'm, we're missing a couple of people. Ron and... They're in Seattle. And how about Rod and... They're not feeling well. They weren't feeling well? Mm -hmm. Because I met with them... Yesterday. Did I meet with him yesterday? No, I met with Dave yesterday. I met with him Friday. I met with him Friday. I met with Dave yesterday. I met with you guys yesterday. So anyway, never mind. We need an APES team. Here's what we need. We need apostles in this work. We need prophets in this work. We need evangelists in this work. We need shepherds in this work. We need teachers in this work. I and Mono, we cover two out of the five. So we're set, you're saying. <laughs> so I want to say, no, we're, we, not we, we are not good at all. <laughs> like there's a massive vacuum. My job is to contextualize your learning curve. And it's to create a vacuum for you to fill. And that confuses the crap out of people because it's like for a season, I met with these young couples. Or for a season, I met with every group. And then the Lord said, pull out, pull out now. Get out of there now. Why? Because they... They are going to go limp if you don't. Get out, and the, the gap needs to hit Dan and Carol. They need to feel the, oh, my God, we can't do this. They need to feel that. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> they, need to be, they need to literally go in so far over their head that they have to fight under the umbrella of the kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> How now, under Christ and the kingdom, do we bring a kingdom people, a little kingdom microchurch? Same thing happened to Dave and Jess and Brent and Shannon and 
David and you know and, and Duff and Kim, they're sick by the way too. What, what they had you know at one moment, I created apostolic energy. I helped form it and I helped give permission for them to be a legit church. Now they got to figure out how to be a, how to be a church. And for a while, it didn't go so good. Right? It didn't go so good. And, and you know what? Everything in me wanted to rescue you. Everything. Everything in me wanted to rescue you, Shannon and Brent. Everything. And God goes, don't you dare go rescue them. You make them suffer. It's got to be so miserable that they start praying and asking hard questions. And they start, they start figuring it out. And guess what? Most people would, would have left because they didn't come here to be uncomfortable. They didn't come here to be equipped to go, go out and have to take responsibility. They were invited to come and attend. So, how many of you understand the difference of what we're going after? We're called to bring the kingdom of God in the seven mountains and, and to create a dialogue and a context to grow and learn on how to do all of it. We need to be experts in all seven areas as much as we can. So you need to be aware of, even if you're never married, you need to understand the dynamics of marriage and family. Because everybody's in a family, natural family. You need to know the government and the, and the dynamics of church. Kingdom church. Apostles. You need to know fivefold ministry and eldership and leadership and discipleship. You need to know all that. You need to believe and pray for the arts. You think? Absolutely. And education. Alright, now. Any questions on this? What do you think about this, Brent? Be a kingdom people, advance the kingdom, get a worldview, all that. I think one of the things I, I, I'm struggling with personally is, um, uh, you know, like, that's some, obviously the revelation has been brought to uh, our families that we do have, the, you know, the apostles and the prophet, and we pretty much lack the other three. Um, we may not lack them, we just may not, they just may not have been identified or recognized. Well, right, and then the next thought that comes to mind is, okay, um, you know, uh, let's just talk cooking. You know, chefs are usually taught by other chefs. You know what I mean? Um, and so I see where we lack maybe shepherds, uh, but we don't have one. How do, how do we, what do we do? Where do we go from here? That's just an honest question from my heart. <laughs> well, here's the deal. If somebody comes and says to me, I'm willing to take responsibility for the other people's lives and I'm going to be a giver-outer rather than a taker-inner, then, then that activates me. If they come after me and pursue and call on me to help them, that pulls the anointing out of me. That, that's true for Mono. Anytime someone says, I need you to help equip me, like I'm a shepherd or I'm an evangelist, what do I need to do to be a more effective shepherd evangelist? If anybody stepped up and said that to me, I'm there on the site. The minute David calls me and says, I need help shepherding, or the minute I'm, I, I would clear my schedule. But what's happened is, is that they're, just to be honest, yeah. okay, we're going to be honest, yeah. um, I have felt residual passivity in this family of, I need to take the initiative, the, 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 everybody's kind of waited on everybody else. Right. They've waited on me, 
They've waited on other people. Even when we just said, we're going to go hang out with each other on Sunday mornings, which was your idea. We're going to meet once a month, and we're going to then initiate meaningful kingdomizing of each other on Sundays. The track record of initiation, let's put it this way, wasn't as high as I thought it would be. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely, because my confession to this body is my, my pursuit was zero, and the pursuit that came towards me was zero. And so I can't accept with anybody, but understand that we just, we just don't understand, you know, because that, that, and I think that's the whole thing, looking at our Western church, you show up to a building and then there's all these people. That do it for you. Yes. And I knew that that was not what God had for us. And so uh, it's been an interesting season. It's actually been a time of learning how to pursue, you know, in the marriage um, as fathers of our, you know, mothers of our children. Um, but definitely recognizing the huge gap in the pursuit of our, our family, our church family. And, uh, this to, to me is an awesome moment we're having at this minute. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're literally on the verge of a breakthrough. Did you want to say something about this? Yeah. Going back to your, your original question, just I think it might be helpful or not that today is not the time for it, but just a quick insertion. There's a difference between function and office, and you can't confuse the two. Uh -huh. You guys sit in the office of apostle and prophet, whereas we all function in all of the roles. That's well put. Do you understand? In other words, at any given moment, you can be pastoral. Yes. Let's say that Susie Q over here gets all gushy, gushy, nurturing towards somebody in this church. You have the right, she has the permission, and she's been deputized to pastor anybody. We, so, so our function is very, I mean, you can function, I mean, just to put it, if you're going to go back to the chef thing, you could, I could function in the role of cooking, but I'm not chef. I mean, I can cook. Nobody's starving at our house, When you see a need and you choose to step out into that function, that's when you learn how to do it. And you and you also learn what you don't know, but it motivates you to begin to learn how to do it. And you're going to make mistakes, and then maybe you might ask Tim a question, because you just made a mistake, and you knocked your out it to go from there, mono. But I think you have to be moving. Can't just be sitting here and waiting for somebody else to do it or seeing a need and just waiting. You have to be moving. Well, um, that's a that's a brilliant 
Now, here's what I want to do after the, I want to affirm this moment. Like, I'm not bummed that we had, I don't think we failed. I don't think there was this big failure or anything. I don't, I don't never approach life like this. I think that when we step into something, which, which you initiated, I love that. And we read, okay, our experiment exposed something. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, how do we get these gaps filled? Okay, I feel like we need to have repent for the kingdom of God is here. We repent. And basically, here's, what, here's, the, here's the thing that has to hit everybody that's in an apostolic movement that's different than a pastor-based movement. In Amer an American pastor-based movement. And an American pastor-based movement is you come to us and we will nurture you and take care of you and meet your needs. Okay, that's a pastor-based culture. Of, all of our churches are either pastor or teacher-led uh, come will meet your needs churches, right? Now, you didn't join that. You joined a completely paradigm-shifting group. And so the emphasis is on now you get to be sent out, you get to take initiative, you get to experiment and make mistakes. So that we're not going to here to nurture, come and let us meet your needs. It's we are now, we created a context for you to experiment and mess up. So you didn't really learn to do marriage and family until you got married and started having babies. Like, what if I would have said, okay, look, Brett, we're going to have, Brett, we're going to have a big, you know, here, you're 15 years old, and I'm going to have a class on marriage and how to raise children. Would you have been that interested? Would you have learned anything? Nothing. Zero. The minute you step into responsibility, now your learning curve goes up. And so the minute you had, you're actually starting a church in a living room with David. And you're going, well, who's here to help me? I say, well, when it dawns on you that you're the one starting the church, that you're starting a church planting movement, that you're deputized, that you have leadership, everything will snap. And then I become relevant to you. Actually, you'll, you'll, you'll pull on my anointing in a way you never have. When that snaps inside of you, and maybe today it's going to snap. Not that it hasn't before, but I want that to hit you because that will change the dynamic of our relationship. Now see, here in the Jesus movement, I didn't have any fathers. There were no fathers, Brent, not one. And all, all I knew was go make disciples. That's what I read in the Bible. I started a Bible study in a church at 16 without any adult help. I never even read the Bible. Now, by losing my life, I started gaining my life. Because I was interested in helping people, I grew as a, as a life-giving life father at 16. Do you know that, just to be weird about this thing, you've had more time from a leader in your, own, in your home from me. I've been to your home many times. We've had meals many times. I've been with you many times, even though not enough. You've had more time from me than I ever got my entire life from anybody else. In just a couple of years, we've known each other. Like literally, more time in our DNA groups and the coffee shops. And would I wish it were more? Yeah. But I mean, I'm telling you, you personally have been fathered way better in the two years than I ever have in my whole life. No one's ever done that for me, ever. No, no leader came into my home, bought me coffee, hung out with me, not once, never. It's like, now am I bitter? No. But whenever I needed something, I hunted those guys down. I literally hunted them down. I said, I don't have a clue. I've got to help people. There's a bunch of people care, you know, that I'm supposed to care about. I don't know what I'm doing. I suck. Now tell me how to do inner healing. 
and I would, I, would, I would pull the anointing right out of them. And they would respond to that. Now, I am asking you to do the same thing I had to do. You, you, you guys have been spoiled, just so you know. Not, but spoiled in a wrong way. Not that you're spoiled. You're not. But you know what I mean? The church has damaged you. Yeah. Well, and, it, and see, when I, I got saved at the age of 26, and um, I, I mean, I, you know, just like anybody, you start off fiery. I mean, you're in a desperate pursuit of God and His people and love, yep. freedom, and all these things that come with knowing Christ and putting your faith in Him. And, and uh, then there was a few years back when I, you know, on a big worship stage, mm-hmm. and looking out at thousands of people saying, "Man." There's something, something's missing. Well, there's right. got to be more. There's got to be more. And it was the everybody coming to have it done for them. Or for me, it was the kind of an elitehood amongst the body of Christ, where I was like, people wanted to be around me just because I was with the the different, you know, the staff. The in group. In group. There you go. And I couldn't stand it. It drove me nuts. And and so I lost. I guess I guess I I didn't know what to do at that point. And then. The, what I realized to current day is that the that the, the, the view has just been tainted mm-hmm. to celebrity. Yeah. I guess is the way to put it. Right. Instead of chasing Christ or chasing the people, you know, that seem to have it all together. Yeah. And it's it's and what I what I knew behind the scenes is that, you know, I knew these people behind the scenes. They didn't have it all together. No. And I didn't either. But it was just because of this label thing going on. But anyway, um I've since come into, as of late, just this this hunger and, and raw passion and desperate pursuit of the Word and, and God and Christ again, awesome. which has been just amazing. Um, so I guess it was a it was a season of, uh, like you said, I mean, just realizing how spoiled that was in, in a way of uh, well, wrongly spoiled, wrongly because everything was done for you, like yeah. you said. And I'm just like, okay. How, what do we got to do? Look, yeah. What do I have to do to get to where you know, to get to the kingdom? Because I want the kingdom to replace the way I do my family. I want the kingdom to replace like, the way our nation runs the nation, and you know that's I want to help you part of that. See now, one real quick thing. This is so genius right now. What God's done, He set you up with this appointment, unmet expectations, frustration, and hurt. Now you had to dig down and go. I hate that guy. You know. You know. You know, overpromised, underdelivered, all the stuff that we go through to this moment right now. Yeah. And and the Lord is going. Listen, Brent. I have. I wanted you to rule and reign all along. Right. See, the minute your grandpa kept giving you stuff, or your dad, you know, whatever. It, the minute you became the, you know, like they were a dispensary of all this stuff, and you never had to grow and bear weight and be responsible. They were actually dwarfing your development. They, they weren't that, it appeared as though loving, but it wasn't loving. Right. And the church appears as though it's loving because we're meeting all your needs and come to the program, but it's not loving because you don't get your own muscles. So a lot of people, they, they start relating to me as the dispensary of father affection, father love, father advice, and they, they want me to initiate, and they want me to go after them, and, and it because of that hurt and that rejection, which I get it. Yeah. I have it, you know, I had it too. And so that's not means they're evil. That just means the Lord has to tw- just bend it a little bit. And the bending of it is a very mature breakthrough. And where you say, I want to learn to rule and reign, 
and I'm called, now can you equip me to be awesome as a husband, a father, a house church leader, an evangelist? That's a different thing. And then I'm going to pull on you. I'm going to go after you. I'm going to, I am going to, see, God doesn't say just, you know, he says, seek first the kingdom. He didn't say, I'm just going to keep pursuing you and pursuing you. You get to go limp, and I'm going to just show up in your bedroom every morning and uh, kiss all over you, and you don't have to do a thing, and I'm just going to throw stuff at you. That does not foster ruling and reigning. That doesn't foster maturing. So we create a theology of dysfunction in our kids, even the way we raise them. And we typically raise kids the way we've been raised. And we don't teach them how to take initiative and how to behave and how to stay in boundaries and how to clean the room and... Because we just give them everything. We don't discipline them. We don't, that's humanism. So in the kingdom now, we're in a dynamic between you and I and this church. And I think basically what God says is, I'm putting you on an apostolic team, Brent. And you get to be sent out. And so now I'm getting you two guys, apostles and prophets. And we're going to find, we're asking God to raise up those people. Well, every one of us get to pastor. Including me. That's not my office, but everybody gets to pastor. So here's the thing. I hereby deputize you as a son and a father in this house. I'd say make the emphasis sonship with God the Father and fathering in this work. In other words, sonship received from God the Father, not me. And then if I step in and give you something, praise the Lord. But it's God through me, or Mana, or whoever, or Oma, or Dan. And, but slip into the role of I'm, I'm own, I own the house. I'm a father in this house. Do what I did at 16. In other words, this isn't Tim's church. This is my church. So I'm going to pick up the phone and call. Like I did pick up the phone and call you guys. I did start this thing. I was initiating all the time. Get to my living room. Here's my food. Drink my coffee. I was constantly going into your homes. Setting up meetings. I initiated with Sue. I initiated with lots of people. All of you guys. Now, when are you going to initiate? So now, I started the ball rolling. Now, let's go crazy. And you, you, we have now a context called DNA groups, MKS. All these are biblical strategies that anybody can rise up and be awesome in this work. We're a multi-level marketing. Where, did you hear that? Oh, sorry. I meant to look at you. We're a multi-marketing uh, kingdom enterprise. And the person that makes the most... Uh, Sponsors the most leaders. Uh, gets the Pull most up. eternal re reward and uh, whatever. I have a little perspective as well on this. Okay. But hold on just real quick. Brent, does that feel like good news to you? Oh, yeah, it's great. That now you're not a victim of some guy that's not calling you enough. You are absolutely adored and loved. By the way, I do think and pray about you guys a lot. And that you now are a father and a leader in this work. And this work doesn't stop or start when I go out of town and have to go fix a mess in El Paso. Right. Or Kansas City, which just, you know, was, is a mess. It's not a mess anymore, but it was. Right. But, but my win is your win in Kansas City. So now I ask you to be a part of the leadership team. Will you say Yes. Yes. How about you, Shannon? Yes. Are you going to be on an apostolic team and family that you now are a missionary and you're going to get equipped to be a leader versus a consumer? Yes. Can I ask a 
practically honest question. Yes. How are we supposed to do it when we have no time or energy? <laughs> like as a mom yeah. and as a believer, I just don't feel like I have anything to give to this. Yeah. Which is pretty honest and raw, but... <laughs> I love it. You know? So how do we become leaders if we can't even lead our family? Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just tired. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. what does that look like for us as new parents and mm -hmm. new, like, we're always shifting and, you know, having to get used to something. Hey, buddy, can you pick that up for me, please? Pick it up. You know what I mean? Like, how, what does it look like for us to initiate if we don't have time or energy mm -hmm. to initiate yeah. mm -hmm. with everybody because that's our desire but our time and energy just isn't there okay do you know what i mean yes like, now that's just really honest okay now may i ask you a question yes back to your question yes would you be willing to open up your heart and life to this group this this emerging little group so that we can come into your storyline, uh, would you be willing to have the humility to invite us into your storyline? Yes. In other words... It's challenging, though. Yeah, will you pick that? up the phone and go, Sue or Kim? Help! Help! I mean, seriously, I'm being straight up serious. Where you yeah. call and say, Kim, I want to combine friendship time with kid time with house cleaning and cooking time. Mm -hmm. Would you show up and for a couple hours and walk and, and weave into my life? Okay. Do you have, will you be willing to do that? Yes, reluctantly. Like, I know that that's good. But it's hard. Why is it hard? Um, well, just, just the, the, I don't, I guess I don't know. Um, I don't know. You don't want to inconvenience yeah. somebody? Yeah, probably. I mean, especially since we live in Johnstown, like we're half an hour away. Plus, you know, I just, I, I'm a practical person, so I, I figure like, okay, I mean, my mom is half an hour away from us, you know, and so is his mom is a little bit closer. But even that, like, I feel that. But let me ask you something. Are you saying no on someone else's behalf without giving them a chance? Probably. I guess I probably just assume, like. Just okay, a. Why would anybody want to help me? Okay, like, now, can, you can know, you do something? Can you, Kim, can you stand up and, and look her in the eye? Could you stand up and look at Shannon? Now, now, Shannon. Ask, ask him, look her in the eye and ask her if she'd be willing to come over to your house and be a part of your life. Would you want to come over to my house and help me clean? I'd love to. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, Kim, is the drive, no, stay there. I'm going to, I'm asking on Shannon's behalf. This play like I'm Shannon. But look at Shannon. <laughs> I'm, I'm now Shannon. Kim, Kim. That's stupid. Would you be willing to drive the 30 miles to my house? Would that be a problem for you? Sorry, all that, would that be a problem for you? Would you like to do that? 
Okay, hold on, we're not done yet. Okay, Kim, sit down. Sue, would you walk up in front of... Uh... Now, I, I'm doing this for a reason. We're breaking the ice. Yes. Okay, could you do the same thing with her? I'm seriously, would you ask her right now? I get it. All we can do to initiate is. space and time and collapse that we have freeways and cars and we can get there in no time plus it's you know it, this village called Johnstown is important that we that we kingdomize Johnstown I mean come on let's think about the name yeah yeah so you know, so now I want to I want to I want to say another thing here that that's going on that's holy it's really important that we learn to ask that we not, because see, here's this idea that if you don't think of it and take the initiative, then you must not care. Now, I've, I had my wife tell me that in the early days, and I, and I believed it for a while. Like, if you can't guess what my needs are and go meet my needs by guessing what they are, then you don't love me. And I'm like, like an, I'm a guy. I'm a guy. <laughs> like, I'm not a mind reader. Like, I'm not a mind reader. And I'm like, I really would love to love you more, and I'm not that great at loving, but I'd like to do it better. But please take the initiative and ask me. Please invite me in. And, and so we had to debunk the idea that if I have to ask, then it's not legitimate. That, that's not kingdom. Because even God says, I want you to ask. You have not because you ask not. So can we just debunk that culture? That, that That's not... The sign of love is that we mind read and then take the initiative and then go hunt somebody down Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just a general help, but I guess I don't have any specifications to that. So that's fine. So you know, so just 
I only feel good things towards everyone here. I get it's not that. out of a place. It's just out of a place of like, I'm drowning already. And to be on leadership, like honestly, that overwhelms me. Just the thought of that. <laughs> you know, like the the that if we're on leadership, that's less time I have with my husband. That's how I feel. It's less time I have with my husband, who. And I, I have less time with my kids, less time, you know what I mean? Like, it feels like it puts more on me. And I think that's just, I know that's just probably my misinterpretation here. It right is. Now. I'll just be assuring sure. you. That I, I do know, but that's yeah. just honestly, like, yeah. that's my first thought is, oh, crap. Okay, well, I guess I'll just keep trying myself, which I know it's not in me. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's where I'm at. The first so, step of leadership. I want to be on leadership, okay. but it scares me. But the first step of being, of doing leadership is getting on the team first. Yeah. Okay, so we're not asking you to have this big output of time and energy toward other people and start a house yeah. church and do that. Nobody's asking that. So yeah. you're right. Your, your, your scenario, your narrative isn't super accurate. Right. So the first thing that has to happen is a, a deeper connection in a practical way with some other people. And that's happening. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and I believe that, and so with, with Jess, whatever, and I think there's nothing more dangerous than an isolated woman with kids. Yeah. Boy, that'll, that'll make you mental. That, 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 seriously, that'll, yeah. that'll make you mental. And so to have other women in your life that come in and say, hey, look, I've got an afternoon, or even, can you come over, help me clean, I need a 30-minute power nap. I, I mean, seriously. So I think the first step is for you to receive in the context of relationships and right. get that flow going. Yeah. Get that love flow. So you've got some energy stockpiling. Same with you, Jess. Would you be willing to invite people into your world and sink your life and, and get into your storyline? You know, I've, I've talked to Kim about this a lot. She's my DNA partner. It, Would that be your mother-in-law? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's really hard for me, just like Shannon was saying, because I feel like, I'm not sure if it's the same for her, but when I have people like come into my house, I feel like I need to be a host, mm -hmm. and I need yeah. to serve them and cater to them, not in a bad way at all. Like, it's oh. like I would love to bless you and Hospitality. Yeah, that's just something that's dear to me is to just bless people when they come into my house. Right. So it's hard for me to say, hey, come and clean <laughs> my house for me. It's a little, it's embarrassing, honestly. Definitely. I don't see what And I, that might be like my upbringing, like what the way my mom is. Oh, I mean, we go into our house. What if somebody came to play with, with Noah for an hour. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. yeah. Things like that are things that are more personal to some people than others. Yeah. 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 Lori, you get first step. Sorry. No, and it's funny because I was having this conversation with my Sarah. I don't know this last week. It was a couple weeks ago. We went on a date and just talking about how does how does how do things lead into life? I mean, my kids.
kids are teenagers, but it wasn't that long ago, guys. <laughs> I remember. And just on the practical side, and I hear the hospitality part of you guys, and it is so in there. This would be really, I'm going to open my window of my heart a little bit. Um, my kids were little. Sarah was two. Joshua was seven months. And there was, this was just this, this window into how the Lord taught me some things and the stuff I was putting on my own heart. Um, we had this single guy that Mono worked with, needed to be loved, needed a family. He came over for dinner every Monday night for months, probably two years, probably. Where I came for dinner Monday night. It was my most stressful day of the week. I kid you not. I'm trying to figure out, I can't even figure out how to get a shower in because somebody's puking or you know, there's 10 diapers that need to be changed. And I had this thing, okay, I need to make, I need to make homemade bread, we need to have this salad, we need to have this done. I was stressing, literally stressing myself out. And one day I was in tears with the Lord, and probably the moment the two were more asleep at the same time, because that's like a miracle from heaven. And, you know, I just was like, God, this is, this is crazy. What, what, do, what, are we, what am I doing, and how do I, how do I make this work? Because I'm at my wit's end. I haven't slept in three years. You know, I mean, nothing's ever clean all at the same time, you know, I mean, it just doesn't happen. And the Lord, he just, he just so tenderly to my heart went, hey, here's the deal. The hospitality is what's in your heart and your openness of who you are. You can serve peanut butter and jelly and it wouldn't make any difference, honestly, because it's in, it's that context of the heart with it. It doesn't matter if my bathroom's dirty. Do we like them clean? Yeah. I walked in the mirror the other day after we had family here, and there was, I mean, people over there were stuff splattered all over the mirror, and I'm like, well, life happens. But that context of just going, it's just us being together. It's not about what this looks like and what we think it should look like. And I think that's when I hear the Lord maybe asking you guys in this season is yeah. to unpack a little of that and go, what is, what do I think it's supposed to look like and what really should it look like? Yeah. Because the years when the kids were little like that, it, I cannot tell you the number of DNAs we had over folding laundry, honestly. Okay, I have to fold laundry right now because this isn't going to happen. And next week we're meeting at your house and we're you're folding your laundry because that's what's going to happen because we have this window of when the kids are open and available to play. And how does it fit into life in the context of life happening and working it through? And part of that includes cleaning bathrooms together because that it needs to happen. And if and so I think that's what I hear being appealed to. And Carol did it really well, too, of what does it look like in the context of life? And I hear that's what you're asking is how, because I can't add one more thing in. Right. Because there is yeah. no room to add yeah. one more thing. But we're not adding. We're incorporating. Right. And asking the Lord to help us be creative in that. And it's, it's the context of doing life, and life is life. And if that means we're working to learn together today or we're painting the outside of your house because it needs to happen, this is when we're going to get together, that's going to be okay. And, you know, it's overcooking dinner because we're going to combine dinner tonight. We're going to meet together. Our prep time is going to be our DNA time. Honestly, and that's going to include somebody taking 30 minutes to take the kids outside so somebody else can get dinner finished. You know, I mean, that's part of how it works. And if we don't incorporate, because you can't add. You, you don't have the energy to add, and, but you're not being asked to add, okay. I think, is what I'm trying to say. You're not being asked to add. You're That's asking, brilliant. You're being asked to be. Thank you. And if you can be, 
it's okay. And if you haven't showered in three days, I really don't care. <laughs> you know? And and I think that goes for you guys too. It's the heart of Yeah, that really rings true just because yeah. like I mean you think I mean, I can't tell you how many times me and Shannon have tried to like get together and it's like we barely say two things because we're here and there and I have I'm meeting him like it's chaos. And we like maybe get to talk about spiritual things for like two seconds. And it kind of feels like well it doesn't feel like a waste of time, but it's like, gosh, what did we really accomplish in that time? Instead of in just watching our kids, which is what, what, what did you accomplish? Yeah. Yeah. What did you accomplish? You rejoiced in your kids. Yeah. You celebrated being together. They learned something by being with you because you were with them. It was in that context of life. That is where we learn. That's whole Deuteronomy 6. Teach it when you walk along the road. When you sit at your house, when you do this. It's not about... Oh, now it's going to be DNA time. Oh, let's have our coffee and our nice little scone. I'm sorry. This doesn't fit in life. I want that sometimes. It's <laughs> you do. It's really nice. It's really super fun. Yeah. It happens. It's awesome. But it's not the practical season that you are in with little ones. And, that's, and it's okay. And I think give yourselves grace to not go. It has to look a certain way. Because it, it's not going to look that way. It's going to look different now than... It's going to look different wow, than you. Know, it's just, yeah. and just embrace the season of it, I guess, is kind of what I'm asking. And don't worry about what it looks like or superimposing something that you think should be. Yeah. Well, I think, like, I mean, it's kind of been revealed to me, too, just in dealing with two kids. Like, our life is not, I feel like, um, in our generation right now, everyone wants to live the Instagram life. That's like perfect. The mm. Table's done. Mm. You know, your kids are sleeping. Wow. Laundry's folded. And that's just got everything out on Pinterest. Unplug. Unplug from Pinterest. But if you, like, seriously, do you ever really see a post on Facebook or Instagram that's like, I just had the worst day, and my kids were screaming all day. It's like, oh, look at my perfect children, and my perfect I've seen, I've, seen, I've, seen I've seen some of those posts. I've seen yeah. the most of the posts. Because, like, totally my friends with best. all mothers, and yeah. Yeah, nobody wants to be vulnerable like yeah. that. So I've had to be like, okay, there's dishes in the sink right now. My kids need attention. Like, they need a bath. They need to go to bed. They need the attention and I have to kind of start putting myself aside and my OCD habits and wanting my house to look perfect yeah. to cater to them and what they need. Right. You know? Can I just say too, Jess, I want to reassure you on something that I know Lori so well because we've walked so many years together and Janet and everybody else in this room. There cannot be a culture of judgment there can't be a culture of you get to serve, you're supposed to serve me and get your house in order and it's about me coming over to a clean house. See, a real healthy kingdom family doesn't assess and evaluate somebody based upon whether their toilets are clean or their kids are dirty, diapered, or screaming. A real fun, see, we, we, this was so normal for us, you haven't, see, you haven't seen us do it, but we've done it for years. Basically, we get in each other's lives and while we're together, we clean each other's houses. And while we're together, we cook meals together. And nobody's sitting there drawing conclusions about someone else's spirituality based upon the cleanliness of their toilets. So if Janet's going to come over, she's literally not, you know, you can come into a cleaner house here because we don't have kids. But I, I, we had kids. 
We know what that's like. We don't judge anybody. And Josh and Amy, I mean, they, they got clothes everywhere, kids everywhere, poop everywhere. I mean, I, I, we have elder meetings in Josh and Amy's house, and the kids are falling out of the chairs and crying and pooping themselves. I mean, it's chaos. We have elders meetings in chaos. And, and I walked in the other day, there was a big turd in the toilet that, that the kids hadn't flushed. It was like, you know, like, welcome to life. And Amy has, has re relaxed around me. She's like, oh no, the man of God isn't here. I'm supposed to be in this hospitality. She's like, no, poop is going to be in my toilet. And, and furthermore, Tim's going to think that's funny. And I think it's funny. So I clean the toilet for them. I come in and clean their bathrooms. I have seen you've done it. I do it all the time. I go in there and I'm not offended. I'm not like, what's your problem here, Amy? You, you've let yourself go. None of that comes into my mind, ever. It's like, you are my hero. Just having babies today is you're my hero. It's honestly, it's practical. Sometimes is when we get together, somebody hasn't showered, and go take your shower or watch the kids. Yeah. It's good. It's it happens good. all the time like that. Mm -hmm. Let me play with the kids. I love playing mm -hmm. with two-year-olds. I haven't played it, with two-year-olds. Affection I grows. I would love to get to that point. I just don't think we're there yet no. as a family. Yeah. So that's why it would be hard for me to, to, to make that step like Shannon was saying. But more people are ahead of you than you think. They're, they're actually more, like I would say, like Lori or, or, or Sue or Janet or Kim or Carol, all these have been mothers forever. And grandmothers, and grandmothers, and grandmothers. And so we, we have a chill pill on us that you would not believe. Like we have a view of life from a perspective of chaos and from raising and from failure, so-called failure, that you would not believe. So there's a mercy and graciousness in us. Mm -hmm. there is a, there's a reality in us that's very different. So people can talk to us about anything. Their sex lives, their finances, their habits, their issues, and we're not like shockable. Mm -hmm. Like when you live this much, you're not shockable about anything. You're very merciful and kind. And anybody that cops a religious attitude, will be. I'll sit them down and have a little come to Jesus session with them. Nobody gets to walk in your homes and cop an attitude. They get to come in fun and free and, and friendly and nice and, and relaxed. So I, I would like you to test drive. Mm -hmm. Test drive, Lori. Test drive, Janet. Test drive, Carol. Test drive, Kim. See what happens if, and, and process it And because I think there's going to be life in it. Mm -hmm. I think when a woman of this caliber walks in and she's sweet and she's kind and she's fun and she cleans for a living, I mean, that's what she does for a living, and she goes, let's play with kids. And oh, by the way, hey man, I might sweep through your toilet real quick. That's not a statement of you're a bad mother yeah. or housekeeper. That's a please well, let me love you reality. in this moment. <laughs> What's that? We're, yeah, we're bearing one another's burdens by doing life together. And, and I think the other thing is I've suggested this, but I would like to, for you to consider initiating it. Like Janet's, one of her love languages is, is, is cooking. And if you could say, Janet, would you come over on this particular night, bring all the ingredients, and cook a casserole with me and let me watch? I'd love to do that. I'll chase my babies. You put the casserole together, and let me watch you piece it together, and then we'll cook it together, and then we'll eat. You know how much Janet would love that. And you would learn a new menu. You'd be around a mother that is a fun-loving woman. She's a very, Janet's a hoot. And she is not going to, you don't clean up before she comes. If you do that, she will be upset. 
like, oh gosh, I gotta get Janet's coming. That that would not be cool. Jess, let your house be your house. And these well, two what are. I, what I want from my house is it to be spotless all the time. That's like that's something that I've put on myself. I know, yeah. <laughs> but like that's just and that's my heart's desire is to have a nice, orderly, clean house that. Yeah. It's a good environment. It's not yes. because everything needs to be clean like yeah. all the time. It's just it's, it's, it's more for us. Like not for me. Yeah. It is for you. I get that. Yeah. Okay. Because I mean, in in reality, this is my job. Like this yeah. is my daily job, and I have to deal with like if it's not done, do I go towards? I'm failing in my job, or I'm not doing my job well, or I give myself breaks and just let it go for the day and start tomorrow, you know? So I think that's like the daily battle for us, just... But honestly, in all every culture, from the Hebraic culture, they did things together. Every single culture, but isolated America, where you pull up your garage, drive in, and then close the garage. Every other culture, all the women cook together. You go to Africa, they have one big pot. They cook together, they raise kids together. It's unbelievable what pressure that relieves when the culture is we're supposed to do this together. So we've got to debunk this. I've got to be all sufficient, spotlessly clean, great balanced meals, raise my baby. That's baloney. Yes. Yes, another mother will speak. Us mothers have a lot to say. Yes. Sorry, go ahead. Sue is my DNA partner, and I still sweep and mop my floors before she comes over every week. Or at least I try to. But she comes over every week. And and for me, like I'm in the same boat as you guys because I hate it. Mm -hmm. I hate having people in my home when the dishes are a mess and the sinks are full and there's dog footprints all over the floor and dust everywhere and Juno hair everywhere. Anyways, I hate it. It drives me nuts. <laughs> but at the same time, Sue comes over, and when she comes over every week, there's been times where she's just looked at me and been like, okay, you need a nap. Give me Tristan and go upstairs. And, and I was like, no, 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 I'm fine. I can do it now. I'm fine. No big deal. It's fine. And I sit down and I try and talk to her, and she's like, she's like, no, go take a nap. And even in those moments where I'm trying to be superwoman and I'm trying to pull myself together and have it all together, I don't have to. And that's something that she's shown me just by being there. And so even even if the first three or four times you have the ladies over, you're still sweeping your floors and mopping your floors and making sure the kitchen is spotless and the kids are on their best behavior and whatever, you're still taking a baby step forward. Does that make sense? And I think that's kind of where it's at, is just to let everyone know that it's going to have to take a while, because even sure. now, like, I mean, my kid, at least Lincoln, he probably wouldn't be super comfortable. He's not even comfortable with me leaving him with my mom right now. <laughs> my mom sees him, like, a couple times a week, you know? So, like, there, that's that reality for now. So, yeah, my house will probably be a mess, and my toddler will probably be throwing himself on the floor. You know, and so there's, there just feels like there's always that chaos. So it really helped Lori to, to put the terms, if not adding, it's incorporating. Because that frees my heart up a little bit. Like a little bit. 
it's, it's warming up to that idea, not saying, <laughs> That's awesome. you know what I mean, like, you know, because I, I have previous leadership experience, and so that leadership experience was all-encompassing. I was, you know, it was a 24-7 job, so I know that that's not what we're asking here, but just putting that word on it freaked me out, so I do feel a little bit of ease Good. now with the incorporation and instead of adding on, because there is no room to add on <laughs> right now. If I'm um, one of the other things that I kind of heard you saying was that you're still kind of looking at anybody coming into your home as a guest, as opposed to family. Yeah, right. I mean, do you clean your house like that for if your sister is coming over or something just to hang out? Well, you know, but oh, no. just you, you should have great. Yeah, you should. You should. You know what? Even more. You should give yourself grace and say, "This is part of my family. I'm willing to, you know." not try and play hostess necessarily um, and just say, look, let's be friends. Because that, that happens in the context of life as well. Yeah. And, and, and I hear your heart, but I have to tell you, I don't really care about your house. I think that's hard. But I understand that you're so happy. I understand it. And so and I think my sanity trying to convince you to be okay that you feel out of control in your life, but how can we come in and help you regain some sort of sense of, of shalom. Of shalom. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I was going to add on to Dan, too, of like, um, you know, one thing we talk about is sometimes we have wounds from our natural family or judgment from our natural family and how this is different than our natural family. Even. And so, you know, kind of looking at I'm it. I'm more likely to clean my house you know, for my mom than I am for any of you guys. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's kind of sad that our family puts that judgment on us so that we can look, have them, or look up to them a little But yeah, so kind of. From my perspective, and I'm a single guy, <laughs> um, when I go into someone's house, I'd rather see that it's lived in than staged, or look like it's absolutely spotless. Because when it's lived in, it says you're at home, and you're willing to just share your life accordingly, and you're living there. I would like to encourage deliberateness about this. I know it's gonna take time, so no pressure, okay? Just, the reason why I'm, I'm jealous for this is because I think that just this kind of practical interaction and affection thing together, doing life together a little bit, is going to move us forward in the kingdom. Like just stuff like, you know, hanging together, cleaning together, doing that kind of befriending each other, opening each other's hearts in, in those settings. I've just seen the power of it for so many years. And we did it, we've, everywhere we've gone, we've, we've tried to make this our culture of life on life. And, and so the, cra the crazy thing is this, this conversation, if it leads to where we're, I think it's going to go, Rather than feeling drained, you're going to feel more life. Yeah. It's not even going to be I'm incorporating it. It's actually going to be I'm absorbing more life. And you, you'll go, wow, how, by doing that, I'm actually making disciples, actually contributing to the vision by just doing this. And so on the other side of this conversation is a ton of life. It, it's and a lot of fun. It's actually more kingdom. It's more Hebraic.
and it's it's just stinking fun. So when you get families that that have a that have a rhythm of doing meals together and doing life together and doing cleaning together and stuff like that, they are fellowshipping around their chores, and they're, they're everybody's winning. And that that's considered kingdom. The isolated, I gotta, I gotta. That is, see, hospitality. We gotta get, we gotta redefine hospitality. I say to people, and Lori's got the ultimate gift of hospitality. Everybody thinks the gift of hospitality is manifested by a panicked reaction and getting everything clean and all the food right, and that is a sign that somebody has a gift of hospitality. And I say, in the scripture, that's exactly the opposite. The gift of hospitality is actually where people can walk in and your home feels like like a good pair of old jeans. You go walk into the person and you just go into a place of peace and relaxation. And you'll feel the spirit of hospitality in Lori and Mono's home. And I guarantee you she doesn't go to great lengths to prepare her home for anybody. Not that <laughs> she's not a slob but when you she's go in there when you go in your home I, I feel I feel as much at home in their home as I do my own and it's an atmosphere it's a presence it's like oh I just slink into their couch and I check I help myself to the refrigerator and I'm I'm just relaxed in their place I've gone into their room and bedroom and taken a nap like literally I've gone into their room in their bedroom and taken a nap I kid you not like on more than one occasion. And so that culture, I know I know that's a stretch. I get it. I'm not gonna go take a nap in your bed, okay? I'm not Just gonna say no and be very weird. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. Helps it helps you guys learn each other. It does. Yeah, I, yeah, I get it. I am not gonna do that. I'm not suggesting and I'm not suggesting that anybody else do that. I'm simply giving you an example of an atmosphere of relaxation. Yeah. And I'm gonna pray over that for you guys and all of us because I know that what we're talking about is not in our American culture. At all. The Pinterest, you know, what would you Yes. Yeah. Instagram, Instagram. I, that is so ridiculous. Oh yeah, the TV shows. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and, and it won't be without its bumps and without its needs for conversations, but if we can integrate this, it will take our family to the next level of kingdom life. And man, boy, do we need this. And I, I know that yours is probably the biggest felt need that we have right now in terms of people who know that they need this, but really the invitation is for everybody to be in each other's time and each other's life and their, their storyline. Um, you, know, you guys, you guys you know, feel we need this help. I don't feel it as much, but I know that I need it. You know, I need to be like, getting involved in their lives and everybody else. Hey, by the way, Next week we're next next week we're here again. What's today? Today is the sixth. Next, I think we're in Laramie because of Thanksgiving. I thought it was. 
Okay. Yes? No, no. You're supposed to know this. Okay. You're preaching, so you know. Yeah. There you go. It's next week. Then, then what's the week after? Are we here the 23rd? Okay, then we're here the 23rd. Can we do it at your house for prayer? And Mono and I, I'm going to talk to Mono and I. Yeah. The 11th. Yeah. Yeah. Did you want us to come and clean your bathroom? No. Okay. Her house is open too, so we can do stuff at our house. Hey, all right. We have a house that doesn't have joined walls now. All right. And we have a yard. We have a fenced in yard. Hey, congratulations, Jess. Yes. What a big win. Are we going to talk about kids? Not today. Okay. We'll do that. What we're going to do is I'm going to have another couple of get-togethers with uh, the Higgins and you guys about kids, and then we want to have a discussion, not next week, but the week after on kids. Oh, thank you. We have a very special thing. We have a request from Kelly and Michelle to do a baby dedication. And what I'd like to do is because of the time, can I do a little audible on the line? Yeah. Let me announce something. Next week in Laramie, we're going to have an official public baby, baby dedication. Okay, then the week after that, we're going to do our own with, with him. Here, okay? Is that cool? And so I wanted you to know about that because it's going to be a big moment. And if we want to do that with Noah, Eli, whatever, we can do that too. But I want to prepare it and have a special time. So I don't want to rush that with him today. And we're kind of maxed out. So, so Sunday, Laramie. And next Sunday, here. Thank you. Hey, can you guys come in here a minute? We'll pray. And I really thank you for... Do you need me to? No way. By our body. Oh, body. oh, oh. Hey, Jess, thank you. That was great. That was a great time. Um, no pressure, but do you feel like you could maybe make one initiating invitation in the next week or two to somebody other than Kim? Well, I, I think. It, it really takes a journey in the heart between each person and God. It takes yeah. It, to really be willing to to be uh, vulnerable yeah. at that level. So no pressure. It's just it's just like having that in mind. I, this is just me, but it would be very. Uh, artificial pushy to just say, hey, in the next week, mm. why don't you change your whole makeup? I, I think no, I didn't say that, Mono. That was no, a little you, overstated. I'm just saying, this is like, giving them permission it, this is a great discussion and it's a great. Uh, it opened the door. It's, it's really a good open door. Yeah. But the, the journey still needs to be taken. That's right. Part. In everybody's time frame. Some, some people. It takes few years. Some people take a few weeks. I appreciate that. I I agree with that actually. No pressure. Well, and I, 
I mean, I want you to know, like, that's, is definitely my heart's desire. It's right. Just, you know, I gotta get my head in my heart. <laughs> yeah, you know. And and he's right. Mono's right. There is no. There's no pressure whatsoever. I mean, it's taken me a while just to let Kim come over and like. I I mean, last Thursday she came over, and she like called me at like. I forgot she was coming over. It was like nine twenty. I was laying in bed feeding him, and she was like, "Hey, are we still on for this morning? I'm here." And I was like. Oh yeah! I'm so ready. I'm so ready. An idea in my pajamas, and that was huge for me. So I got it. You know, and she's like, you know, she's family, so it's a little bit easier for me. So, but we'll get there. Beautiful. Okay, so let me rehearse again. Next week we're in Laramie, Laramie, and that's what day. 13. 13. But, do, do but do we have a Friday prayer? Friday, this, Friday. Friday. this Friday at Dan and Carol's for prayer. At 6.30, right? At 6.30. Sure. That okay? that's, that's the advertised time. That's the advertised time. And then the 20th is back here, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Beautiful. Is the prayer thing once a month or is it every time? Once a month at this point. Yeah. We're just taking ground slowly. But you can pray. Yes, a Friday. I can. You, you are allowed to pray. You are allowed More than once a month. Yeah. More than once a month. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Hey, Lori, would you close us in prayer? This has been so helpful and profound. And Hey, Shannon. You're my new. No, no, no. I just was complimenting you. You're what a hero you are. Thank yeah, you. Really. Oh, really? I'm coming tonight. No, you did. Bravo. Bravo. We love you more for it. Oh. Yep. Uh, Father, we uh, we celebrate your life, your joy, and your freedom that you have provided for us through the cross. And Jesus, I thank you for the journey that you have us on individually and as a family and as a bigger family as well. And um, our extended family around the country and they're meeting today and celebrating you as well. And, and Jesus, I thank you so much for being so patient with us and being willing to work us work us through one little thing at a time and showing us where our desires are lining up with you and where the practical application of those desires needs to change. <laughs> Jesus, I thank you for the joy of, of our kids and the, the lessons we learn through time and thank you that you are so patient with us as a dad. Father, thank you for just the time of being together and, and celebrating you and each other and I thank you for the people in this room who are in our lives and I'm grateful, Jesus, for the things I learn every day, every week from being with them. Um, just thank you, Jesus, for, for your love. And um, Lord, we do, we ask that uh, you would bless us so that we could be a blessing to the nations and draw and draw people to you. Because uh, that is our ultimate goal and desire and our, our 
job from being on the planet. Thank you for the day. I pray that you help the kids to adjust the time change. Jesus, and just give them grace for moms and dads too. And pray for Janet that she would have a wonderfully safe trip home tomorrow. Just bless her on the journey. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Bravo, Jesus.